A theme on the American political left is that billionaires shouldn't exist. We will talk about that today, but I want to start here. In South Carolina, everyone's mad at our governor about some education funding. We'll start there on this week's Corey Truax Show. This is the best thing, the best thing that could be happening. And I think you would agree the best thing is that it's happening to you and me. A much, much younger version of myself made decisions on opinions and positions with reckless abandon and not much hesitancy, if any, at all. I would hear of a news story or an issue, I'd make my decision in a good three or four seconds flat, and then I would not doubt my decision, and I would know that anyone who disagreed with me was probably really uh, really off. I, I, I hate to think that I would even, back then, that younger version of me would think that person was stupid or has bad ideas. That's a other version of me. And as I've gotten older, I find that I've gone off the deep end in the other direction. Like I hear a story, I more slowly develop the opinion, but like when people I respect, value, and think are super smart, I see them express a different opinion. I don't think, oh, I should rethink this. I just go, I must be wrong. What do they know that I don't know? And I experienced that last week with Governor Henry McMaster in South Carolina. I know I know the podcast audience is not South Carolinian, so guys, stick with me. This does matter. The, there's going to be an idea behind the story. It's not primarily South Carolinian on the podcast audience, but we had this decision to send some funding to help support private and Christian schools in South Carolina. And people that I deeply respect, and I think are, I'm basically positive or smarter than me, posted on social media being upset about it. And I was like, wait, what? I must be wrong, and I don't know why. But uh, it turns out, after thinking and talking... I have uh, developed an opinion on this that I want to give you, and we will start there in just a moment. First, my name is Corey Truax. Thank you, for, thank you for listening to His Radio Talk 91.9 and 92.9, or wherever you find the podcast of The Corey Truax Show. I am grateful that you give me time every week. I'm also surprised. So thank you, and wow, that you would listen. We are starting year number six, year number six of, uh, wait, 2015, 16, 17, yeah, five or six, however that works. Uh, right now on this episode, so thank you for being with us for that. I'm also the pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church. Beachwood meets at 1030 on Sunday morning in Greenville, South Carolina, and you are invited. Uh, we're meeting in person. You are welcome with or without a mask. We'll have them avail- available for you. You are welcome to sing and sing loudly uh, with or without that mask. Uh, we try to be cautious and keep distance and do all kinds of things to keep everyone safe, but we do uh, recognize and that we have to live our lives. And we recognize that one of the central pieces of being a believer is getting together with other believers. That's not me throwing any shade at any church that's not meeting. There's a lot of considerations here, and I've got no criticism for other churches and how they're handling things. I'm just telling you how we're handling things. And if you want, uh, haven't been a part of a church body or you're looking for a place that's meeting, Beachwood is open. 10.30 Sunday mornings, we'd love to have you. Let's get started. So, Henry McMaster... Governor of South Carolina, Henry McMaster, the governor of the sovereign state of South Carolina, he comes out and says, we have this, uh, I think it was $48 million that the federal government has granted South Carolina for purposes of setting up the schools to operate. Because we want kids in school, if we can do it safely, I think we can, when school starts back. And if I understood correctly, the stories were that this $48 million was for purposes of safety, to make sure that we had 
whatever preparations we needed for kids to get together and meet in a safe way and learn in a safe environment. But either way, there was $48 million made available. And Governor McMaster, he took $16 million of it, 16 mil, and gave it to public schools. That's how, I'm, I'm giving you the, uh, the reported language, by the way, because the, the language reporters used on this was dishonest and uh, I think maybe on purpose tried to confuse people. But he took $16 million of that and gave it to the public schools. That's basically one-third. And then $32 million, two-thirds, went to private school grants. Now, the way that got reported in South Carolina media, and I think the reason everyone got so mad, because it, it seemed to be everybody was mad, like a very small group uh, seemed to be defending the governor, and I believe the governor deserves a robust defense from a conservative perspective. Uh, but what was happening is the that got reported in headlines as Governor, Governor McMaster gives federal funds to Christian schools or private schools. Well, first, let's get the facts straight. That's not what happened. We don't have Governor McMaster sending a check to Bob Jones Christian High School, to Hampton Park Christian School, to Southside Christian School up in here in Greenville. Palmetto Christian down in Charleston is not getting a check. Northside Christian in Columbia is not getting a check. That's not what's happening. Greenwood Christian isn't getting a check. There is money made available for families who choose to send their kids to a private or Christian school to help make it more affordable. So let's do that first. It's not just money going to private schools or Christian schools. It's money going to families who make the Totally honorable choice to send their kid to a private or Christian school. It's also a fine and honorable choice if you send your kid to a public school. Not criticizing that. But it it does seem like it, like with the media and some folks, that private and Christian schools, they they don't have real kids in them with real teachers and real bus drivers and real lunch ladies, real administrators and principals. Like, those are all kids and humans too, guys. The kids that go to Christian school need a good education. The teachers that teach there need to get paid. The administrators who run the place and the, the, the handymen and the folks that clean up and the, the coaches who coach, all, all that, they're, they're all humans. They're all people. Just the fact that they teach at a Christian school or private school doesn't dehumanize them. So that's number one. It's money that went to families who want to send their kid to a private school in South Carolina because those families are also families. Like they're, they're real people. And so my number two point, COVID has not just been a public health crisis, there's an argument that it's actually been more of an economic crisis. And so you have families who are firmly middle class. Uh, They uh, have to make, in South Carolina, $78,600 or less to qualify. And if you have a a family of four or five or six, let's go with three or four kids, 78 grand is fine money. You are not living in opulence. You are having to budget your money. And if you are making the choice to send kids, multiple kids, to private school, you are spending some real coin on tuition. And so while you are paying taxes for a a school system you're not using, and then paying tuition for the school system you are using, it is a totally moral, logical, rational thing for Henry McMaster to look at families who are probably suffering economically, because we almost all of us did because of COVID, and say, we're going to help you. You want to send your kid back to the Christian school they've always gone to? Or for that matter, you've got a family in South, in South Carolina who's never tried a private or Christian school, but the private or Christian school in their area is saying, we're going to meet five days a week for in-person instruction, 
And the public school was saying your kid is going to go one or two days a week for personal in-person instruction. And that family just knows, well, my kid is not going to thrive that way. I know that's not how it's going to work. The e-learning thing barely worked last time. It's I know it doesn't serve my kid best. And so we, you know, we can afford this much for tuition. We need a little help to make it work the rest of the way. And so the, the state comes along and says, all right, for this year, we're going to have a program to help those families make it work. This is, again, a totally logical, rational thing to do with that money because those families are real. They're not evil. The fact they chose to send their kid to private Christian school does not disqualify them from consideration of help. So, number one, it is, uh, it, it is, it is help for families. Number two, it is not a payment. Actually, I guess number one, it's not directly going to the schools. Number two is the point that it's going to those families. And then when you think about the amount there's no reason for anyone to get up in arms here. I'm going to give you some numbers. I know they're hard to take in in audio form. At least I, I have trouble like visualizing figures. Like I need to see them, but I'm going to do my best here. In South Carolina this year, K-12 through schools, public schools, were funded at $1.8 billion. $1.8 billion is the funding they got. Then there was COVID relief funds. So the federal government sends the states COVID relief. The public school system, K-12, got another $216 million from the feds added to their $1.8 billion, right? So basically, they're now at $2 billion in funding. Then there was another round from the feds. So there was the COVID relief funds, and then the feds did the CARES Act. That put another $222 million towards public education. So public education gets $1.8 billion. And then these two federal government programs come through and they get 400 and some odd million dollars more. The private schools got 50 million, basically for one purpose, for mobile hotspots. For the private schools that might not be able to meet for COVID-related reasons, they needed state government money help to put together the internet hotspot so kids who don't have internet can access the internet and do their schoolwork. So of all the extra money... We got over 400 and some odd million going to the public schools and the Christian schools, the private schools got 50 million. And remembering on top of the fact the public schools already have almost a $2 billion budget that's paid for in part by taxes from kids who go to private schools. Then this extra 48 million came available. And so this little little pittance, this 10%, 10% of the 400 million extra that the public schools had already gotten, another 10% of that comes available and two-thirds of it now went to the private schools and everyone freaks out. Right, so I'm just going to say it. Calm down, all right? Nothing bad happened here. No one was, no one was violated. The, it, it, this is, I guess, my overarching point I wanted to get to. I don't know how we got here, but it seems like if, if you choose to send your kid to a private school, Christian school, I, think, I would include homeschoolers here, you're just not people anymore. You're not families. You don't have kids. Your kids don't matter. If you choose to teach at a Christian school... Christian high school, Christian elementary school, you're not even a person anymore. Your job doesn't matter. If you if you send your kid to a private or Christian school, your family budget getting impacted by COVID and the job losses that came with it, none of that matters. You're just, you are persona non grata. You don't exist. And so I just want to step up and say, that was all really mean-spirited. It was all irrational and wrong. It was uh, something I've learned in my life is never to react, but instead respond. 
the, uh, the thing that's emotionally unhealthy is in life when a stimulus or a piece of information comes to us that we react to it. We let our bodies, our minds have a natural reaction instead of slowing down and responding. So we need to be the people of response, not reaction. The reaction was, how dare private schools get public money? Well, they didn't. Families that choose to send their private to get their kids to private school who are affected by COVID like the rest of us are getting one year of help to keep their kids in that private school that might serve them best. And private schools primarily being the ones that are doing five-day instruction to maybe even have some other kids be able to have that environment. So thank you, Henry McMaster. I'm just going to say it. Governor, Governor McMaster, the governor of the sovereign state of South Carolina. That's a great call. It was the right call. I stand by it. I know people that I love, respect, and value disagree with me. And if you want, and none of that changes. My feelings towards those people don't change because we disagree on this. If you have disagreement or thoughts on my take on that, Corey Truax Show at gmail.com. Corey Truax Show at gmail.com. You can get in touch or find me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Look for me, Corey Truax. You will find me there. When we come back, I was sent a post from a left winger. Well, the le- it wasn't a left winger that sent it to me, but it's an Instagram page of the left that tries to make the case that billionaires shouldn't exist. A class of people shouldn't exist. I want to examine that from a biblical perspective, also a uh, an economic perspective. We'll do that when you come back for the rest of the Corey True X Show. I'm fairly confident I said this right before the break, but if I didn't, hi, I'm Corey Truax from The Corey Truax Show, and you should find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Look for me, Corey Truax. You will find me there. 2020 has been rescued, if you didn't know. Taylor Swift decided to put out a surprise album, as in, uh, I guess that was last Tuesday morning, she was like, so I'm putting out an album. Comes out tonight at midnight. You should all get it. And I sure did. And I probably will be doing some kind of review of it at some point. Uh, but I went ahead and started learning some of it on piano because some of you might remember that. I started learning piano about a year ago. Maybe it's about 13 months now that I started learning. So any event, uh, that, that'll be out there on the Instagram, and I know you're all so excited for it. I am just kidding. Let's go. Back to the back to the real work. A, a good friend, also been a guest on the show, Emily Blocksdorf, sent me a post to, I think, just get my um, get my response. But also, she was doing what friends do, is what all of you should do, is send me things that should be on the show. Send me stuff that you see on the internet that goes, that makes you go, hey, I wonder what that guy that talks too loud and fast thinks about that. I'm going to send it to him. So when you do that, it's helpful. So uh, this is a post on Instagram, and the it's got 105,000 likes on it. I found a version on Twitter as well, and it was getting retweeted like crazy. So this was a pretty big thing out on the left as a post. And maybe more importantly, as one of the themes of my life and this show, uh, as one of those themes is peacemaking, it's, it's good to take a look at what people who don't think like us, what they think, develop really well thought out responses, be understanding to how they feel and recognize that there's there's some disconnect between us and we, we want to be able to bridge that gap. And so if, if this is something that's very popular out in a worldview that's opposite of mine, well, what I want to do is understand it. And then if they're right, admit it. But if not, find a way to effectively communicate a, a response to it. So here we go. 
This is the post. It is titled, Billionaires Shouldn't Exist. Enough, uh, here we go. Uh, their first point. Uh, the United States now has 630 billionaires whose wealth totals nearly $3.4 trillion uh, as of April 29th in 2020. Meanwhile, the 400 richest Americans, according to Forbes, have as much combined wealth as the bottom 64%. So the top 400 uh, people have as much wealth as the bottom 64%. So let's start there. First, thus far, we don't actually have any kind of problem. We don't have any moral or biblical problem. If a bunch of people have a bunch, and then a bunch of people have less than them, but there's, but there's not a relationship between the two, as in those top 400 didn't take anything or abuse or break any laws, if they didn't do anything unethical to get the wealth they have, we don't have a problem here. One stat they leave out that's quite important is let's think about that bottom 64%. Are they okay? Do they have what they need? Are, are they eating? Do they have a roof over their head? Are, are we talking about abject poverty? Well, no, not, not in the United States of America. The poorest of us in the United States of America is living in opulence compared to the average person 100 years ago. Like we're we're doing quite well in America for middle class and lower middle class income levels. So thus far, just saying the fact, there's a bunch of people or a small group of people with a bunch of wealth and then a larger group of people with less wealth and or even comparable wealth than one another, we don't have a problem yet. Not economically, not biblically, not morally or ethically. It's just, a, they're, they're right, it's true, but they've not illustrated that it's any kind of problem. I actually want to stop there for a second and highlight I would challenge you if you if you do think that there's a biblical problem in some people having a lot and some people having a little. I need you to find that for me. Bring me that text. Bring me the the thing that can adjudicate the disagreement because I will always bend to Scripture. I will bow to the authority of the Bible, but you're not actually going to find biblically that there's a problem in inequity. When things are unequal... That's the natural state of being. It's actually the natural state of being in God's made world. That's, there's going to be unequal outcomes in life. The biblical issue would be if someone got the unequal outcome by doing something unfair or immoral. You'll have a, a bunch of prophets, mostly minor prophets, Amos, Micah, Malachi, those guys, talk about rich people who were using unjust scales, folks that were doing things unethical and wrong, and that's how the inequity took place. But biblically, just the fact that some people have a little and some people have a lot, that is not a moral issue. Next part of this uh, from this post is, uh, quote, self-made billionaires acquire their wealth by exploiting the working class. Oh, boy. So that's quite the, quite the claim that these billionaires, that they would say to me, Corey, okay, well, it actually is the problem. Like, even biblically... Well, they're getting their wealth. They're only wealthy because they're exploiting people. They're doing something wrong, unethical. They're, they're cheating the system in some way. All right, well, I'll, I'll hear your argument on that in just one second because we do want to be open to hearing it. That could be the case. It could be that billionaires are getting their money in unethical ways. One of the things I need to stop and say, though, is there's definitely a misunderstanding of wealth itself here and what being a billionaire means. Just as an example... 
it's actually quite unlikely that most of these billionaires could liquefy $100 billion in movable cash. Just from day to day, you can find websites that will show you Warren Buffett's or Bill Gates's wealth. And it changes drastically from day to day. And you have to wonder, you know, the, the normal people among us, wait, how'd they get so much less valuable today? What'd they, what'd they buy or something like that? That's not, just all their money's wrapped up in markets. They're, 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 they're wrapped up in bonds. They bought from other governments. They got a lot of money wrapped up in the stock market. I mean, just from day to day, even someone like me, my net worth varies kind of widely from day to day. If you think about your 401k or some kind of investment fund, you look at the stock market any given day. And so they, when they say they make their money by exploiting the working class, well, maybe that's how they make some of their money. We'll, we'll look into that. We'll find out. But a lot of money is earned or made by it just being in an investment account somewhere. And that doesn't exploit anybody. That's actually how most, like a Warren Buffett, you think of him as an investor. He's a billionaire. who's primarily a billionaire because he did some stuff in real estate and then started investing and the investing worked out. He didn't exploit anybody. But... In, in any way, even the quote money he has, it's not liquid assets. It's stuff that's tied up in investments. All right, we've got to keep it moving. So they give, they say two examples. So they say billionaires get their wealth by exploiting the working class. Here's two examples. They start with Jeff Bezos, the owner of Amazon, uh, personally not a, not a good person, but arguably has done more to help uh, the American economy, help Americans from the business he, uh, he built arguably more than almost anyone in the last 50 years. But here's what they say of Jeff Bezos. Uh, Jeff Bezos is the world's richest man, CEO of Amazon, and his employees often qualify for food stamps, can be fired for taking bathroom breaks, and suffer notoriously bad working conditions. He makes more in one minute than his warehouse workers make in one year. Right. So first, the idea again, make. He makes more in one minute. That's it's probably something close to true with just his normal compensation. It might not be, though, because, again, there's compensation he's getting from Amazon, but most of his wealth comes from the fact that he owns a lot of Amazon, and Amazon's a publicly traded company. So anyway, um, and also that, uh, he makes more in a minute than a warehouse worker does in a, uh, in a year. Even if it's true, it's not immoral or unbiblical or, or wrong. If the warehouse worker has agreed voluntarily to work the job, the fact that he earns what he earns and Bezos earns what he earns, that is not inherently a moral problem for, for that billionaire to not need to exist. But let's go through the, those arguments. Uh, where a- employees qualify for food stamps. Yeah, there's definitely a, a group of Amazon employees. Certainly not all of them. Amazon has created more millionaires than every company except Microsoft. I think Apple comes in third. So what Amazon pays its people at the mid-level and as you continue to work your way up, uh, what Amazon has done in investments and stock market and people being invested in Amazon, Amazon is responsible for creating more millionaires, which you know, oddly enough is becoming less and less money. Like having a million dollars is less and less impressive. Uh, but the, uh, the, the, there are some people who can be on food stamps that you make so little at Amazon. Those positions exist in a lot of places, and you're, it is the, the person's job, where, where, they are, where they are in life, to be responsible, work hard, move their way up. Those positions exist, are called entry-level positions, all over the economy, that you make so little 
that you might also qualify for food stamps. That's not Jeff Bezos' fault. That's not any business owner's fault. It, this is totally a voluntary thing. So uh, then number two, it says they can be fired for taking bathroom breaks. Um, if that happens, uh, there's no evidence offered here. Just they, they just assert it that it happens. But let's say it happens. Someone gets fired for taking a bathroom break and it is outside of labor laws. Okay, fine. That person should be suing Amazon and being compensated for it. Yeah, that's fine. Um, or they suffer notoriously bad working conditions. So if that's true, two things can happen. Um, one, you can quit. I feel like folks uh, on these arguments don't understand. No one's making anyone work at Amazon. That's not a rule. If anyone thinks their conditions are notoriously bad, they can quit, walk away, and go look for another job. Up until COVID, we had jobs everywhere to go look for. And so there's the, the fact that you, you don't like a working condition, you can walk away from it. Again, and then number two, if it's notoriously bad and doesn't meet some kind of a regulative standard, well then let's do the investigation and then you have to meet the regulative standard for that working condition. The, the thing that has to get understood here is there's a voluntary relationship between employer and employee. If someone doesn't like what they're getting paid or doesn't like their conditions, stop working there. Or, I guess your other option is you can try to unionize. In most states, you can try to put together a union. You can, there's, eff, there's efforts here. But you've not established here that billionaires shouldn't exist from that argument. There is... Uh, well, let me do the, the next one. Um, you know what? I'm, I'm going to run out of time. So I'm going to just make their argument from Jeff Bezos. There's one other thing we need to understand from this argument from like a Walmart perspective or a Amazon perspective, these big companies is you, when you think about them only as the billionaire and then maybe the, the board of the company and all the executives, you think of that group and then you think of the employees. So you've only thought of two groups. There's a really important economic concept here you're missing. And that is the customer. So let's say Amazon and Walmart together, I'm making up a number here. Let's say they employ a million people. And I think it's less than that. But the, between the two of them, Amazon and Walmart employ a million people. What Amazon offers to then the other 319 million Americans, I think we have 320 million people, in terms of low, low costs at Walmart, the on-demand stuff that we get from Amazon, not to mention that it's something like over half of small businesses now in America do more than half their revenue by using Amazon. Amazon ends up being a platform, like almost like the, by the way, like business owners should be paying rent to Amazon because Amazon has built this platform instead of having to build a building or get a storefront or pay rent to someone else. They set up their business from their home and sell stuff on Amazon. And so there's small business owners benefiting from what Amazon has built. There's 310 million of us, or really all 320 million of us, benefiting from the bidding from the, the money and the goods that are moving throughout the moving throughout the economy. Um, the, the, then there's what with Walmart and so what they, what they do and keeping prices low, helping all of our budgets. And so when you're looking at this morally and ethically about billionaires not needing to exist, well, yeah, there's the billionaire and there's the employee and then there's all of the rest of us. And all of that rest of us, we're benefiting greatly from what Amazon and what Walmart has done. All right, got to move on. We're going to run out of time. Uh, next up on this argument is billionaires hoard wealth. 
All right, here's what she, uh, here's what the poster says. Um, if you earned $50 million in your lifetime, you would consider yourself rich, but you would still be $950 million away from being a billionaire. All right, so this is one of the, this is sinful. This is part of the sin, the sinful attitude of this post. It is driven by envy. It is rooted in envy. If a bunch of people were finishing life with $50 million, but there was someone else who had a billion, we should all be thrilled we should all be thrilled by that. The, you know, this thing even started with some kind of argument about uh, the 60-some-odd percent who have the same amount of money as the top 400 or something. The thing they miss is that bottom 64% compared to every other time in human history, they are living large. And so if people are not being exploited and have what they need, who cares if someone has more than you? You will only care if you're an envious, toxic person. You care that these people have a bunch more than you. Continuing with the actual post, uh, it says, a billion is such an incomprehensibly large sum of money that it, it would be difficult to actually spend. That's what we mean by hoarding wealth. There's absolutely no reason why anyone should hoard more wealth than they could spend in their lifetime while others are homeless, starving, and dying of curable diseases. Yeah, this is immature, myopic. Uh, let's stop with those two. It's short-sighted, and it's very immature. I'll take you just one part of this. So there's no reason anyone should have more wealth than they can spend. I sure hope we all have more wealth than we can spend by the end. I'd like to leave something to my nephews. If the Lord blesses me with kids ever, I would like to leave something to them. It's actually one of the parts of growing up. You stop spending everything you have. That's actually the biblical morality you'll find in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. It is the wise person, the righteous person, who doesn't spend everything they have. So there is a biblical reason to have more than what you can spend. Number two, you have a big issue here with morality. There's no authority for it. It's just you saying, the left-wing person who says this, there's no reason, absolutely no reason why anyone should have this much wealth. Why do you get to decide that? I wouldn't mind the billionaire saying to that person, getting a little indignant and say, how dare you? Who do you think you are that you get to decide this? Now, again, I started this discussion saying I wanted to be a person that brings some kind of peace and understanding. So I wouldn't want to say it that way. Like, who do you think you are that you get to make this moral declaration? But I would say it in the tone of, so why do, why do you think you get to decide that? What's your moral authority? Who says so? And why do you get to have the authority to tell people what they should and should not have? Why are we choosing you? And I'm asking that not aggressively. I actually want to know why you would get to decide that and not me. Why are you so much better than me that you get to decide what's moral and what's not? So you're going to have to build your argument on some kind of logic and facts and not on a morality that you've made up. It's just a morality you've made up because you're, you can't impose your morality on me. And I would want to say that in, in an even kinder tone than what I just said. Um, also, talking about billionaires hoarding wealth, that's definitely not a good defin. It's not a good definition of the word hoarding. Uh, that they just get a bunch of money and keep it. Very rare that billionaires do that. That's actually how they became billionaires: is they didn't hoard their money. They invested it. Uh, we'll take let's take Peter Thiel. Peter Thiel's a billionaire. One of my favorite billionaires. He uh, invented PayPal. I think that's him. Yeah, invented PayPal. Got a ton of money off of that. And he then invested in Twitter. And he, he was on the board of Twitter. He, when it was Twitter, Twitter was getting started, 
he was an early adopter of I can't remember some of these other um, other big companies, but he's he's been a brilliant investor out in Silicon Valley in Northern California. He has been putting money into startups, and he loses a lot of money on those investments. But he's not hoarding wealth. The Waltons from Walmart aren't hoarding wealth. Bezos isn't hoarding wealth. They invest almost all of it. They don't keep a ton of money. And even the, quote, money they keep, well, they keep it in banks. You know what banks do? This, we, we took, out, we took out, out a law, and I think it was the 80s, early 80s, where banks can invest their holdings. So they're holding on to some of my money, your money, billionaire's money. They invest it to try to grow it for, to, to make money for the bank. And so it's just not true that you have a bunch of billionaires hoarding money. The money they have is still moving throughout the economy. All right, I have to take a quick break, and then we come back. I want to finish this out, and we're not going to do the entire rest of the show on this. I'm actually almost finished with responding to this left-wing idea that billionaires shouldn't exist. We will finish up that discussion when you come back. And then I think I want to move on to some of the some of the stuff that churches are having to do around when they're getting government orders not to meet because of COVID stuff. So I want to do that and more when you come back for the rest of the Corey Act show. Welcome back for the final segment of the Corey Act show on this show that is inaugurating the fifth year, sixth year. I don't know how that counts because if 2015 was year one, 2016 was year two, 17 is three, 18 is four, 19 is five. All right. So yeah, I'm starting on year six of the show. And we got to get back to work because there's only a little bit left of it. So I'm going through here this very popular post out on Instagram and on Twitter, going around the left-wing world saying that billionaires shouldn't exist. And I'm trying to respond to it in a way where we can take the information I'm giving, maybe package it in something that is much more uh, inviting than I have been, uh, much more winsome than I have been, and explain that that's not logical, economical, factual, that it's also not biblical or moral language to say that billionaires shouldn't exist. So let's get back to it. Uh, the next slide on their, uh, on their argument here against billionaires says that billionaires don't care. They actually use an expletive, but I'm not going to do that. So for, here's what they say. This is some, I, I want to be respectful as I can, but this is a lot of, again, immaturity. It's not understanding economics and life in the world. The, uh, the argument says it would cost $20 billion to end homelessness in the U.S. Mike Bloomberg could do that tomorrow and still have $48 billion. Yeah, so that's not true. Uh, homelessness can't be solved by money. Uh, most homeless people, uh, we get those numbers from the, um, oh, I forgot, uh, housing and urban development maybe. But, but most homeless people, critically homeless people who are basically always homeless, uh, have horrific mental disorders, mental disease, mental disorders. And then the other reason is some kind of addiction. So money's not going to solve that. Uh, people with mental illness and addiction, you can have some kind of uh, upgrade in programs, I'm sure. And if any of these wealthy people wanted to do that, I would laud them for it if they want to take a shot. Uh, but homelessness is way more uh, complicated than $20 billion. And, and consider this as another way you know it's, that's garbage as an argument. The federal budget is over $4 trillion. $20 billion truly is to the federal government a drop, drop in the bucket. If You don't think Republicans and Democrats, if they thought they could solve homelessness for $20 billion, which is basically nothing, that they wouldn't take that win, this very easy, cheap win? Of course they would. So, of course, it can't be solved with that little bit of money. 
Uh, the next argument is halting global warming would cost $300 billion. The world's richest 10 people could all throw in $30 billion and still have a combined $400 billion left. That's not what the Paris Accords say. That's not what the Kyoto Protocol said. That's not what the UN says. When they talk about halting global warming, they talk about trillion-dollar price tags. It's one of the reasons I have been very skeptical of climate change mitigation, and I have been much more on the side of consequence mitigation. Because I, I, I believe climate change is happening and the Earth is going through changes. I think it always goes through changes. One of them right now is that we are warming. And what we need to do is not try to stop the warming. What we need to do is figure out how to adapt. All right, so we're going to be warmer. What do we do? What seawalls do we build? What kind of ecological change is going to happen and how do we respond to it? Uh, but the very hard thing that costs trillions of dollars and ruins the economies of Latin America and Africa and impoverished people never come out of poverty is to try to stop global warming. I don't want to stop it. I want to, uh, I want to adjust life to it. That's the better way to go. But that's not my point. The point there is they, she says they uh, could, could stop it with $300 billion. No one thinks that. No one thinks that that's the price tag. The price tag is trillions. And then, uh, okay, I got, I got to get moving here. Uh, I would also ask this. I'm going to slow down and use a different tone. I would love to know from the billionaire shouldn't exist people, let's, let's take their money and do this other stuff, end homelessness, stop global warming, whatever. Who are these angels? Who are these really good people who are going to take their money and do the better thing with it? So you're sure the billionaires are evil and we should take their money. Who are these good people that are going to do all the good stuff with it? Is it you? That's, that's a level of arrogance that even I blush at. And I don't blush at much a high level of arrogance. I think a lot of you just said, yeah, we know, man. But you're the ones. You're the ones that can fix it. You're you're the brilliant. You're the better, the best among us. You're the brilliant among us. Is it Congress, the federal government? These are the angels, the moral betters. Let's just give them the money, because it's not like we've been giving the federal government, been giving these uh, these governments trillions of dollars over centuries, and they've not done a good job with it. You need to think about the counterfactual as well. Right now in this world that has allowed the billionaire to exist, we are thriving. There are those that struggle. But in, at large, the world has only been getting better through every measurement. Again, some people get left behind. We want to work on that. But the, the average human on Earth lives an incredible life in 2020 compared to the average human in 1920 or 1820. For that matter, we're living a much better life than we were in 1960 or 80 or 90. You got to think of the counterfactual. What's going to happen? What, so you guys win. You get to take all their money. Who are your awesome people that are going to do a better job with it? Um, all right, we've got to get moving here. The next slide they have, their argument is that billionaires don't earn their wealth. All right. Uh, number, they say, number one, they inherit it. So apparently 44% of all billionaires inherit their wealth. Okay. Someone earned it. If they inherited it, that's not, that's not a moral uh, a father or a mother or a family did a hard work. They were smart with their money and they left it to their kids. That's not only not immoral, it is actively moral. That's a biblical worldview for parents to leave something to their kids. 
And then they say the number two way they do it is by cold-blooded, merciless exploitation of the working class. Which again, that's a moral statement that you've got to define. Uh, they've tried to do that earlier in this argument and did a very bad job of it. Uh, and so it's, you, unless you can prove that, unless they've done something that is cold-blooded and merciless to the working class, uh, then you don't have an argument there. Because like, as I already mentioned, employment is uh, not slavery. It's something you can walk away from if you don't want to work for these billionaires. Uh, then, I th- I th- well, maybe I'll stop there. Uh, oh, yeah, here's, this is actually a good one. The, the world's top 26 billionaires own as much wealth as the poorest 3.8 billion. Again, that's not a problem as long as they didn't do anything to cause the 3.8 billion to be in poverty, if the 3.8 billion are even in poverty. You can have a situation, this is not our situation, but where 3.8 billion people are living fine. And then 26 billion are living really good. That's not a problem. That inequity isn't a problem as long as no one cheated anyone else. The, here's the part that I think they think is a great argument, but it's an ar- it really should be considered uh, the exact opposite. Here is the argument. In 2019, the number of billionaires grew by 8.5% to 2,825 people. It's an all-time high. The combined wealth of the world's billionaires reached $9.4 trillion. My argument there is not only is that not discouraging, that's awesome. Opulent wealth is becoming more and more accessible to more and more people. You know what else happened besides there being a record number of billionaires? There was a record number of millionaires. And there was a record number of half million or half billionaires, and a record number of people became hundred thousandaires, and there's a record number of people who started making half a mil a year for the first time in their life, because the economy is growing for everybody, and economic growth and prosperity helps all people across all income spectrums. We're getting a lot of firsts. It's actually awesome that extravagant wealth is growing because it actually means wealth is growing everywhere. Final, uh, final thing they have here is billionaires pay less taxes than we do. Uh, the quote is, American billionaires paid less in taxes in 2018 than the working class. In 2018, billionaires paid 23% of their income in local taxes, in federal, state, and local taxes, while the average American paid 28%. That part, by the way, that's true. It is true that in percentage, it is often the case billionaires on average pay less percentage in income taxes or in total taxes. My, um, and I, that, I'm, I'm included in that. I, I mean, when you add it up, 2019 taxes, state, federal, everything, I got taken for almost, I think it was 29%, like one third of my money to some government. Another 10 or 11% goes to my church, which I'm fine with and love, and I, I would do that no matter what. So consider what we're all living on if you give to your church and you're taxed at the rate that we're taxed. The argument there is, I, I'll hear that. You say, well, we're paying too much in taxes compared to the billionaires. Great, cool, lower my taxes. Lower everybody's taxes. Let's just all pay less in taxes. That'd be great. I'm in. Let's do, let's do less taxation. So, uh, and then one other argument on that. This is one of those very dishonest things that Warren Buffett says. He says that he pays less in taxes than his secretary which isn't true. He pays millions and millions of dollars in taxes every year, and she pays like six or seven grand in taxes. But that six or seven grand in taxes is a higher percentage of her net worth than his net worth. It's an utterly meaningless statistic. 
It's also the case that it's because she's paying income taxes, which are higher than investment taxes, which is smart because we want to not tax investment at a high rate. Investment keeps the economy going. I, I would like to drop it to zero. Let's drop investment taxes to zero to encourage more investment and have people doing less spending all the time. Just continue to consume stuff. Instead of consuming constantly, let's become an investment economy. All right, so that's it. Adam there on the left, it's a big thing. On the left, billionaire shouldn't exist. It is a moral statement. They're, they're, it's not, um, I'm not saying that it's a morally correct statement. I'm saying they're making a moral claim and it is not correct, and I hope you have some ammunition there to talk about that intelligently, uh, that it's not really a problem, uh, that billionaires exist uh, as long as they don't exploit anyone or cheat anyone along the way. Uh, let's go here. Out in California, there was an order from their governor in response to COVID that either churches would not meet or churches should not sing together if they do meet. John MacArthur one of the most prominent pastors of the last 50 years, a man I've learned a lot from. I love John MacArthur. He did a good job, put out a blog or a letter or something like that that just says, essentially, we're, yeah, we're going to meet, but we're going to obey God rather than man. And so I saw a lot of discussion about that on Twitter and Facebook. I didn't participate, but I saw a lot of discussion, so I wanted to address it. Because there was a, a, a lot of folks talking about Romans 13, like talking about the, the passage in First Peter that says, you know, honor the king, obey the government. Romans 13 says the same thing. Obey the laws that the government gives you. And all of that was good. Let's go to scripture for our authority. And I would argue for the church and for the Christian, obey the laws. As Jesus said of Caesar, pay your taxes. I will tell you this, I, I oppose every mask mandate. I think you should wear one in enclosed public spaces, but I oppose every government mandating it. But if they do, put it on. The government's not, not asking you to do anything immoral. They're infringing on your liberty some, but they're not asking you to do anything immoral. And the Christian response, according to Romans 13, is put the mask on. You, the government has asked you to do that, not just ask, they've made it a law. Obey the law. There is the line we come to for the Christian. Because we, we are law abiders. We believe in law and order. That's who we are. We're not chaos. God is not the author of chaos. We do believe, according to Romans 13, that God does institute governments among men. He ordains those governments to punish evil, to reward good. And our role as citizens in whatever government we're in, wherever the Christian lives all over the world and throughout time, we obey the laws. That's who we are as Christians. Up until the point... The law is to break God's law. Up until the government tells you to do something or not do something, that God has said the inverse. And I, I'm not, again, I'm not criticizing any church that's made other decisions right now. But where the conscience of a pastor and a, and a people, look at, I think it's 1 Thessalonians 5, might be 1 Timothy 5, or maybe it's Hebrews 5. It's a 5 in the New Testament, I think. Uh, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is. They look at that and say, I, will, I don't want to do that. I don't want to forsake the assembling of myself together with other believers. Believers look at the book of Acts, and they see that the pattern of the church is to meet together on the Lord's day. 
as Jesus instructed, as the book of Acts models. And by the way, book of Acts, also a really good tool here because in Jerusalem there, Christians, mostly law-abiding, up until they were asked to sin. The government says, you stop preaching Jesus. And Peter and John, before the authorities say, shall we obey God rather than man? And the answer to that is yes. You should obey God rather than man. That doesn't mean that you don't obey the governments. As long as they're not asking you to sin, follow the law, even when you don't like the law. But for John MacArthur out there in California, who says, okay, well, you, you can't tell us not to. You can't tell us not to meet. You don't have the authority. So we're going to meet. And that's what I would encourage churches to be doing. Meet. Just do it cautiously. When you, uh, I know there's a lot of different opinions on masks, but when someone wears one, they shouldn't get any weird looks from you. I would even encourage you, um, especially when you're dealing with more vulnerable people, someone with asthma or is given some kind of res- given to respiratory issues or is elderly, do it. Protect each other. But get to church when, when you can. Um, and, and as a general rule, that's what I was trying to get to, was a rule of thumb. We obey the government up until they tell us to sin. And if the government says you can't meet, not just we're asking you not to, because I know I've already mentioned Henry McMaster one time on the show, but he, he had such a perfect balance, so perfect the way he handled churches in South Carolina. He encouraged us to stop meeting. Now, and he was specific. We can't make you not. You're the church. You, 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 you're doing an eternal thing, and the government's temporal. But we would encourage you not to. We would ask you not to for the betterment of your neighbor and, to, and, and to, be, to be good to your neighbor. We ask you not to. And churches did that everywhere. And some churches are still doing that now, and that is good. It is okay. Uh, but that's the, the, the rule of thumb. We obey the government up until the moment the government tells you to sin. And that's, I wanted to talk about that a little bit in masks, too, because I oppose mask mandates, but some of them might be coming. Some of them have already happened in local cities, and there's a spirit of rebellion around that, and there shouldn't be. Obey uh, up until the moment you've been told to sin. We've run out of time. I'll be back with another new edition of The Corey Truax Show next week. Until then, everybody, peace and love.